0: Well, praise the Lord. We're in our third week of our Sermon on the Mount series, and today we're, we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And today we want to talk about Jesus' teaching as it pertains to the fulfillment of the law. Now, if you're still new in the Word of God and growing in your faith, growing in your, your study of God's Word. You need to know that when we ever, whenever we use the word law, we're referring to the Word of God. We're referring to the Bible. The Bible is the law. Because when Jesus was teaching there in the first century early church, the law was the book of Moses, which was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's called the Torah for the Hebrews. They studied the Torah, those five first books in the Bible, and they studied all the prophets and all the other history books that we call the Old Testament. Somebody say the Old Testament. Somebody say the Old Covenant. Amen. Amen. So when Jesus says the law, he's referring to the Old Testament and the books of the Old Testament that the the Jewish people looked to, studied, memorized, and followed. So whenever we hear Jesus referred to the law, he's talking about the Old Testament. Now we, as believers, or a part of the church here in the 21st century, right, some 2,000 years later, For us, when we refer to the law, we're also referring to the whole of Scripture, the canon, all right, the Old and the New Testament. But when we contextualize and when we study what Jesus was referring to, we need to understand some of those differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're with me, say amen. I want to give us just a little bit of context about what we're talking about. When we look at the book of Matthew... And we study the book of Matthew and we teach the Bible. It's important that we teach the Bible and that we also preach through the Bible. It's important that we as Christians do both and that we receive both. Teaching gives us greater understanding. Teaching gives us greater knowledge so that we can use the brains that God gave us. Preaching brings exhortation, correction, inspiration, motivation, But it all points to Jesus, amen? However we communicate the word of God, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through prophesying, whether it's through preaching, whether it's through teaching, whether it's through serving with acts of love and service, all of that is pointing to Jesus. Because if the gospel were a big, huge sphere or globe, and Jesus was at the center of that great big sphere or ball that, that that Father God was holding up, then guess what? If to get to the center of that of that core, you can come to it from so many different angles. You can get to the center of the gospel that 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 is everything that is the kingdom of God through many different ways. We can get through the core of the gospel through a testimony. We can get to the core of the gospel of who Jesus is right? Through how we live and how we love. But the Word of God that God has given to us provides for us an anchor. The Word of God creates a foundation from which we stand. The Word of God creates a a reference point. Amen? Amen. The Word of God is a reference point so that when we look to the reference point, we know where Jesus is. It's like those little creatures called ants. How many of you like ants in your home? I don't think so. Well, if you're, unless you're like my son Judah, who loves to study every creature of God, right? Um, most of us don't like ants. But if you pay attention to the way an ant works, if you see an ant outside and they're crawling, guess what? An ant, a very creature that God created, whenever it loses its sense of direction, picked up and dropped and put somewhere else, boom, they stop. And then they reference the sun. And when they reference the sun, then they know exactly where they are in relationship to the whole world around them. Isn't that amazing? And so we as Christians, God has given us the word of God, the logos. Everybody say logos. Logos, that's the written word of God. Everybody say rhema. Rhema Rhema is the very spoken word of God, okay? It's the, the spoken word of God. So we have the Word of God, which like for an ant for us, we go to the Word of God and the Word of God is like the son, brother's son. And it points us to the son, S-O-N. The Word of God will point us to Jesus Christ. And that is what Matthew is trying to communicate in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was writing predominantly to a Jewish audience. Whereas some of the other gospel writers like Luke, for example, he was writing to a more diverse crowd. He was writing to Gentiles, Jews being those who came from the Hebrews, came from Moses and and followed the lineage of of the chosen people of God. Whereas the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, Luke wrote his gospel from the lens and perspective of trying to reach somebody who was not a Jew. So that they could understand that Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth was in fact not only God of the Jews, Messiah, King of the Jews, but he's also the King of heaven and the King of earth. That whether you're Jewish or whether you're a Gentile, that God is for all people. Can I hear an amen? It was very significant for Matthew to try and communicate this through the gospel of Matthew so that the Jews understood that God wanted to use them in such a way to reach the whole world through their chosenness. That by, by, by virtue of them being chosen by God, that God wanted to utilize them as a people to welcome others into the family of God so that they would be redeemed as well. But not all of the Jews. Somebody say problem. Here's the problem. The Jews had a very difficult time accepting and believing and and trusting that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. The Jews had a very difficult time recognizing Jesus from Carson. That's what it would have been like to say Jesus of Nazareth. Like, what's so special about Carson? What's so special about Nazareth? This Jesus was just a carpenter. His father was a carpenter named Joseph, right? His, Mary, his mother was named Mary. We know Joseph and Mary. I mean, he's an ordinary dude. Not really. So the Jews took issue with the fact that they had known Jesus all of his life But then all of a sudden, when Jesus began his ministry and began his teaching and began to preach and began to move and operate with a different kind of authority from the kingdom kingdom of God, a different kind of authority from God on high, people did not know what to do with Jesus. So Matthew was trying to communicate to his people, his very own people, That this man named Jesus is Messiah. That he is God. That he is the anointed one. Which is where we get the word Messiah. Are you you with me church? Praise the Lord. So we see here that Jesus begins to unpack with great meaning the significance of the law. Because the Jews could not fathom following this man named Jesus, this God man named Jesus, who was not officially stamped or sealed or approved by the Pharisees, which were the church leaders of their day and age. Jesus never went to the rabbinic schools. Jesus didn't even go to the schools like like Saul did. The Apostle Paul was raised up in the law in a formal and in an official way. So in in other words, Jesus did not come from their system. Jesus was not raised in their system. So it was very difficult for the Jews and the Pharisees and the leaders of the church at that point To recognize the authority of Jesus. So watch this. The divinity. Somebody say divinity. Divinity simply means that Jesus is divine. That Jesus is God. It was very difficult. And before we go judging the Jews at that point in time, let us think for a moment, based on what you and I know, would we readily receive somebody who came down from the mountains and all of a sudden said, oh, yeah, and by the way, you guys remember reading in the scriptures about the second coming of Christ? I'm him. We would probably, we would probably say, this guy's a lunatic. This guy's crazy. Who does this guy think he is? And then all of a sudden, this guy starts doing all these miracles. And this guy starts doing all these things and starts teaching and preaching with authority and all of a sudden people have to start scratching their head and people have to start going home and talking about it hey i don't know man at first i thought this guy was crazy but all of a sudden i see all the fruit of this guy's life and all of a sudden the prophecies are starting to line up and all of a sudden he's looking more and more like this 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 guy could be the second coming of christ are you guys with me that's the equivalent of what it would have been like for the Jews to have to recognize who Jesus the carpenter was. Can you just imagine? Oh, man, this guy, Jesus? No, that's just, that's Chewy. No. Chewy went to the school of hard knocks. You know, I mean, yeah. No, Chewy, he did my cabinets. He's not God. You know, he, he, how could he be the Messiah? How could he be the... No, 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 no. That's, that's Chewy. No, we played on the same baseball team growing up. No, that can't be... That can't be. Jesus, Jesus. That's what they were going through. And so, so please know that Jesus had the same kind of understanding, the same kind of, of compassion, and the same kind of patience in order to bring the word of God to them so that little by little, watch this, enter Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit could then be, come in and start to move in the hearts of all the people as they were receiving the teachings of this man named Jesus. Jesus. And the Holy Spirit started to direct people's minds and their hearts to see and to understand. Like Ananias in the book of Acts, who had been waiting with great expectation for Messiah until he finally recognized that Jesus of Nazareth was in fact the Messiah, that he had been waiting, that he had been studying, that he had been measuring, that he had been expecting as being a part of the the people of God, the chosen people of God for thousands of years. And now he says, ah, the Holy Spirit confirmed. That's why the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist was so significant because the Bible teaches us in the Gospel of Mark that the Holy Spirit said, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. It, It was as if the heavens opened up The Holy Spirit fell and rested upon Jesus. And words from heaven called out, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But was everybody there at the baptism of Jesus by his cousin John the Baptist in the River Jordan? Was everybody there? Hello? Was was everybody there? No. Only those who were there and that God had preordained and predestined to be there at that experience, at that great event, were called by God, preordained by God to be there to witness Jesus' baptism and the, the, the presence of God and the falling of the Holy Spirit and the affirmation and confirmation of God over His Son, Jesus. And it's at that point that those witnesses were then used by God to communicate what was so different about this man named Jesus of Nazareth who was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist in the River Jordan? If you're with me, just say, I'm with you, Pastor. So here we are today. We've been teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. We, we started in the Beatitudes. Pastor Koba in the English service kicked it off teaching out of the Beatitudes. Beatitude means this is how... You need to be. This is the attitude you need to have. Right? This is the attitude you need to embody. It's a be attitude. So Jesus calls us to understand Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 and to embody it. Then he brings us to the pericope of salt and light. Everyday common element that God has called us to be, that was the message that we, we taught and brought to the people of God last week. Amen? And so here we are in week three. Let's turn to the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I'm going to ask you to open it up. I'm going to ask all the young people, if you have your little phone, your, your, your smartphone, your device, open it up in, in BibleGateway.com or you can follow along in your little Bible app right there. And then after that, let's all put all our devices away, unless we're going to use it to follow along in the Word of God, so that we can remove every distraction that the enemy might try to bring to get us off track and off focus. But just like our, our young people just did the praise dance to that song called Focus, I believe God wants us to have a very sharp focus right now as we study the Word of God. Verse 17 says, And these are the red letters of Jesus. It says, Jesus speaking Himself in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, even heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Father God, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our church. Father, we ask that you'd open our minds, that you would open our hearts, and that you'd open our spiritual eyes to see beautiful things in your law today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Put your hands together for the Word of God today, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Notice what Jesus, where Jesus starts right here in verse 17. You can write notes in your bulletin on the back side. We provided space right there for you if you'd like to. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus says, "Don't think that I have come to eliminate and do away with the Old Testament. Don't think that what I'm trying to get you to understand that the Old Testament or the Word of God is no longer important. The reason why Jesus was talking like this was because he was teaching and preaching and speaking with such authority that even some of the things that He was teaching for, for the listeners, it was contradicting. The law of Moses, some of the very actions that Jesus did contradicted the law of Moses and the rules and the commandments that were set up in order to keep the people of God as a holy people, as a people that were focused and concentrated on one thing only, and that was worshiping God in order that they would produce Messiah. Let me say that again. I don't know if you got that. God chose the people of God, the Israelites, so that they would serve as a womb, as an incubator for producing this child, this Messiah called Jesus. So God chose them way back there with Father Abraham. Everybody say Father Abraham. God called Father Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern day Iraq. So Abraham came from Iraq. There was nothing specifically special about the Ur of the Chaldees or the Chaldeans at the time that God said, Oh, I'm choosing him because they are no, but God did, chose Abraham. Are you okay when God does things without your permission? Are you okay with that? Yeah. Me too. He created me, not the other way around. So he chose Abraham. Abraham's son Isaac and Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Jacob is Israel. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Hence, we now we have the people of God called the, the children of Israel, the sons of Israel. Hope this is all making sense and helpful for us. God chose Abraham and he brings his chosen people all the way along. Then they have the Israelites, then come in Moses. Who was called out of Egypt to lead his people and bring them out of captivity because they were taken into captivity after they had grown and become so large under the leadership of Joseph while he was in Egypt. God used Joseph to deliver his people and save them because they were dying of famine uh, and they were dying of thirst out there in the nether regions where they had been established at the time so when they came back into Egypt and God used Joseph to, to, to save his father and all of his other brothers, Joseph being the, the son of Jacob. Can I hear an amen? Amen. They become too many. They they became a a, a mighty force, probably had a population greater and by far larger than the Egyptians themselves. It came to the point where the Egyptians still were oppressing them and enslaving them. Uh Uh-oh. Highlight in your mind the word enslavement. We'll come back to that. They were enslaved to Egypt to build up a massive civilization, which we, know, we, we still now know and study today there in Egypt, all the pyramids and all of that. The Hebrews, the Jews helped build that up in slave labor. And because Pharaoh said, wow, these people are so massive, put them to work even more. Finally, God called Moses and said, go. Come back now. Go get your people and tell Moses to let, your people, let my people go. Pharaoh didn't want to do it. Pharaoh didn't want to do it. God forced his hand. Brings the Israelites out. And now they're a foreign people. Moses, in his relationship. Somebody said relationship. And in his communication with God. Discerns that God calls him up to Mount Sinai called him up to Mount Sinai so that God could give him the very word of God, which are the commandments, which would be the rule of faith and practice for the Jews so that they could start formalizing and that they, could, they could start formulating and establishing and organizing a people group in a structured faith and religion. Somebody say religion. This was all good. This was all great. This was all part of God's plan. This was all purposed by God. So that at which point Moses meets God up on the hill, much like the Sermon on the Mount. Uh oh. Somebody say, uh oh. The Sermon on the Mount can be seen as another form of commandments, but under the new covenant. But what Moses did when he brought the covenant down, when he brought the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai, I hope this is making sense for us. I'm going to talk over here to the folks on the west side. Amen. Can I get a west side over here? And so when when, when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, I didn't come to abolish what Moses put in place for the children of Israel. He's like, and you're going to see how I break it down in just a second. Just hang with me. He used the word abolish in English for us, or destroy. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish, or destroy, or to remove, or utterly, utterly eviscerate what God has already established. But the Greek word for the word abolish right here is Kataluo. Can you say Kataluo, West Side? All the way in the back, say Kataluo. Oh, that was lame. Say it again. Kataluo. There we go. Kataluo. Luo means to destroy. Okay, East Side. Luo, the Greek word for luo, means to destroy. Kataluo means to throw down and destroy. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and found the people of God prostituting themselves to a graven image and a, a golden calf that they formed and said, this will be our tangible God and we're going to worship it because we can't see God, we can't touch God, we can't feel God. He only, wanna talk, he only wants to talk to Moses. Moses. They started worshiping this graven image, a theme created by human hands. And when Moses came down from the mountain, watch this. This is the aha moment. This is called an epiphany. When he came down from the mountain and he saw this, guess what Moses did with the Ten Commandments that God inscribed on the tablets? Guess what Moses did? He threw down. He destroyed. The Bible says in the book of Exodus that Moses, when he became so infuriated that he got the Ten Commandments and he threw them down and shattered them. He even went a step further. He ground down the, the Ten Commandments of stone, ground them into dust, threw them in the water, and made the people drink it. Man, that's cold. Moses was a gangster. So, Jesus is saying, watch this, he's speaking to the Jews. The Jews know Moses. For the Jews, Moses is like their dude. For the Jewish people, Moses is their guy. You're like, that's my guy. Moses is my guy. Jesus, I don't know him. He's a carpenter. Moses, that's my guy. I follow Moses. As a matter of fact, I call him Mo. We're on a first-name basis. So I follow Moses' law. I'm going to follow what Moses gave us because that's what my dad taught me. That's all I know, and I'm sticking with what I know. So Jesus, speaking to the Jewish people who know all about Moses, says, I did not come to destroy the commandments. Ah, I did not come to do what Moses did when he came down from Mount Sinai. No. He says, as a matter of fact, I have come to fulfill. Play ra'o. I've come to complete everything that Moses set in motion. I've come to be the fulfillment. He said, as a matter of fact, everything that Moses taught you about, I is. Everything that Moses... Means to you, I am, and then son. Everything that Moses meant for you, and everything that got used through Moses. He's like, matter of fact, Moses is my little homie. I've been there since the beginning. By the way, I created Moses. I was a part of the conversation of, of who we were going to use to begin with. I know it's hard for you guys to grasp. I know it's hard for you to fathom because you got a limited mind because you can only think so big. And, but guess what? Trust me. He's like, I know. I've been there. You just got to trust me. You just got to wait. You just got to be patient. God's got a plan. I am he. I am the I am. Can I make that connection between the old and the new? Jesus says, I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. And that was the problem. Is that it wasn't the people's fault, but they were stuck on worshiping the law. And for a while, it had been useful and it had been good. But it came to the point where it needed to to develop. It needed to evolve from the worship of the law and from the the observance. Somebody say observance. The observance of the law to develop into something greater. And what is it that, that we call and understand that is greater? A personal relationship with Father God through His Son, Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, trust me, the law is good. You don't got to get rid of the law. If you want to continue to abide by the law, good. Continue that because it's a good thing. But just know the law was meant for a purpose. The law was not the end of it all. The law was a means to me the law wasn't the 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 means to an end jesus is saying the law everything was meant to point to who i am today man you know jesus did not stutter when he was speaking and talking and teaching the way he did well uh, you know uh you know just i don't know if you know but you know i kind of just no offense I am the Messiah. No, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus knew who he was. That's why so many people took issue with with who he was and how he did it, because he didn't apologize. He didn't need to apologize. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Put our hands together for the Lord Jesus today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Jesus says, I didn't come to katalu'o, the law. I came to play ra'o, to fulfill it all. I came to complete it. So for us as Christians today, watch this. It doesn't mean that, you know, hey, praise God. the, The word of God is good. It's there for us. Guess what? God doesn't want us to become so legalistic about our faith that It becomes an obstacle for us in our faith. What Jesus is saying is that, as a matter of fact, the law has served its purpose. Not just pointing to who Jesus is, but watch this. The law served its purpose, Ugo, in demonstrating that it is impossible to keep the law all the way to the T. It's impossible for humanity to be perfect because theologically... Biblically, we understand that Jesus is the only one who is perfect. Jesus is the only one who has attained perfection by virtue of His nature, by virtue of His character, by virtue of design. Amen? So that's very significant and very important for us to understand what Jesus came to do and what He is demonstrating He's demonstrating that it is impossible to keep all the law. So to say that, oh, religion is all about being perfect and religion is all about keeping the law all the way to the letter. He's like, don't even try to do that. You will kill yourself trying to fulfill the law. And watch this. You will condemn yourself. And we're coming back to that that S word. I'm not talking about sin, but it can turn into sin. I'm talking about slavery, becoming a slave to the law. Becoming a slave to the word of God. Trying to be perfect. You become like ball and chain. Trying to think that you can achieve perfection. Or achieve salvation. Or achieve eternal life. Or achieve kingdom of God status. Or achieve born again status. Or achieve right standing with God. Or achieve favor with God. By trying to be perfect. The Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul Paul understood that, so he brought that out in his letter to the Romans. And what Jesus is, is bringing to the Jews to understand is like, hey, guess what? If you want to continue to live and abide by the law, great, continue to do that. But you also need to know and remember Who are we fooling? We all know that we all sin. We all know that we fall short. Everyone knows in their heart of hearts that it is impossible to achieve perfection on our own. It is impossible to to live without sin or to live without blame or to live blamelessly on our own which is why we need Jesus because Jesus represents the second covenant. Jesus represents the new covenant. Jesus represents the blood that washes over our sin. Jesus brings that fulfillment and then he now completes the law and said, hey, all of that doing, all of that obedience, that, hey, that's all good and that's great. Don't stop that. But guess what? It's only by faith. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we receive salvation. And that's what the New Covenant, that's what the New Testament, that's what Jesus brought. That's what it was all about. I hope this is getting through to all of us. It's a demonstration that the law cannot be kept completely by man. Not even the Pharisees who had memorized all of the commandments. Watch this, eyes up, eyes up. Not even the Pharisees who had known all of the commandments. The whole Decalogue. Decalogue. Deca meaning ten. Log coming from the word logos. Ten words. Ten commandments. Which represents 600 plus commandments that you can find in the, the book of Moses. Jesus says, if one of you thinks that you can outdo any of our fellow brothers, the Pharisees, in obeying the law, he's like, try it. You'll see that you'll fall short. He says, so I'm not coming to judge the Pharisees. What they're doing is good, but they also need to recognize Jesus as Messiah. That's why Saul, God used Saul. God opened up Saul's eyes. God opened up so many others other teachers of the law like Nicodemus and other people to see and to understand who Jesus was. God opened their eyes. God opened their heart by the Holy Spirit to demonstrate everything that God wanted them to understand. Praise the Lord. We got to stop majoring on minors and start focusing on majors. Amen? And the most important thing is Jesus. The most important thing is the blood of Jesus. The most important thing is that we recognize that Jesus came to fulfill everything that Moses came to start and Jesus represented that and fulfilled that by dying on the cross and then being raised up from the dead on the third day. Hallelujah. And that's why we as Christians worship on Sunday, the third day, is because of that resurrection power. It's because of what Jesus did in conquering death and conquering sin and allowing us to understand that we don't have to worship even the law, but we are called to worship God through his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Somebody say, Jesus is my everything. Hallelujah. Doesn't it feel good to know that Jesus paid it all for us? Doesn't it feel good to know that, that Jesus understands our trouble? Doesn't it feel good to Jesus to know that Jesus understands our pain? Doesn't it feel good to know that Jesus understands that we know we can't do it on our own? Don't you think it feels good to know that Jesus already accomplished it all? Doesn't it feel good to know that Jesus already died on the cross for all of our sin? And through Jesus, we can become whole. Through Jesus, we can become perfect. Through Jesus, we can become complete. Through Jesus, we can become righteous. Through Jesus, we can attain right standing. Through Jesus, we can come under the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody stand to your feet and shout up to God right now. And somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. What you couldn't do for yourself, God did. What I can't do on my best day. Jesus did it in his sleep. What the world is trying to do, what the world is trying to find in so many other things, what the world is trying to look for and search for when the world says, oh I'm trying to find myself, what they really mean is I'm looking for Jesus. What they really mean is I'm looking for peace with God. Hallelujah. What they really mean is I haven't found myself. What they really mean is I haven't found my identity. I haven't found my purpose. I haven't found my completeness. I haven't found my wholeness. Hallelujah. Because I've not yet met Jesus. Homework for today. Somebody say homework. homework. Homework for today. Your job. Your homework for today is to begin having conversations with people who are trying to figure out why. Why Jesus? Why Christianity? And not just as a name, but as a as a virtue of following Jesus Christ, being followers of Christ. Why follow Christ? Why faith in Christ? Why Christ as opposed to Muhammad? Why Christ and Jesus as opposed to Mormonism? Don't get it twisted. The doctrine is very different. Why Christ? Instead of new age spirituality that mixes and matches a whole bunch of doctrine and a concoction, and a cacophony of so many different folk religions and practices and, and a blending and a mixture of it all. And say, oh, there's, there's more ways to God than, than Jesus. No, but the, the, bu- the book of John chapter 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through me, Jesus said. Hallelujah. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us right. It doesn't make us higher. It doesn't make us on the right side. But it makes us saved. It makes us redeemed. It makes us forgiven. It makes us whole. It makes us at peace. It brings us into right standing. It makes us broken. It makes us understand. And it urges us to be salt and to be light. It urges us to be attitude. Of the kingdom of God. That's our homework. Let's go live it out. Let's have hard conversations with people who are asking, who are searching, who are looking. And you're gonna be like, I could do that, Pastor. I'm a good, I'm good, I'm good with words, I'm a good talker. I'm gonna say something real hard, like Pastor Koba said. I stayed away from all the hard stuff all day today. I was tough last week. I was tough last week. The word of God was tough last week, it's okay. It's the last thing right here. It does require obedience. It does require holy living. It does require bringing our lives into alignment with His Word. Not because we have to, not because we should, not because we want to, but because we're thankful. You know how things get done when we're thankful? You know, when we come, to, we come to one another in thanksgiving? Isn't it so much more pleasant when somebody comes to you with a smile on their face and say, Daddy, can I get a hundred bucks? Of course. I just want to tell you about God's goodness.